0: It's the winter, right? We are firmly in winter, middle of January. It's cold in a lot of places. Uh, Maybe not so much in others, depending where you're coming in from. But yeah, where we can comfortably say we are in winter time. And what does that mean for those of us who like to get out at night and take photos? Well. It really depends on where you live. But the one thing that I can say with certainty is you're not going to have the Milky Way core this month. And depending where you live, you might only have a teensy, teensy bit of it coming up in February. So maybe we should just pack our stuff away, nap. (laughs) Well, that's an option too. But if you have a feeling like, "Ah, I'd really like to get out under the night sky, there's still lots up there to photograph. And one of my favorite targets, what I call the winter giant, is up in the sky shining brilliantly. And today's episode is going to dive into exactly how to get out and photograph it. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Hello, my friend, and happy January to you. I know we're almost at the end of January at this point, but maybe it's just starting to hit me. (laughs) Is anyone else only like finally getting out of the holiday haze? Is it just me? Maybe I'm a little slow on this. So today's episode if you listened to the little preamble, it is going to be about photographing Orion. And I want to say thank you to Robin inside of the After Dark Photography Podcast Facebook group for putting this as an option for something to record an episode on. So if you aren't already, I do have a Facebook group that is specific just to this podcast. I post whenever the podcast goes up. I post when ah maybe the podcast is going to be a day later late uh, as it is this particular week. For anyone who's in the group, you'll know I had a sick little girl home with me this week. And I'm grateful to be able to do that. You know, one of the things that was the big push to go it on my own and uh, leave a, a very comfortable and creatively fulfilling job with wonderful people The push to do that was the ability to have flexibility uh, with my family life, with my kids. And I could have sent my daughter to daycare sick, but she's not going to get better that way and she's just going to get all the other kids sick, the other moms and dads are not going to be very happy. So to have that flexibility to keep her home when I need to is something that I do not take for granted whatsoever. And there are some times when, you know, some certain things get pushed back a little bit. When those things happen, I like to post about them in that group. And I also like to get feedback and get ideas. Now, this week's podcast episode was going to be something different. But when I saw that there were people who voted and said that they were interested in an episode on how to photograph Orion, things to photograph in the winter night sky, I immediately thought to myself, well, those other episodes that I have are not quite as time sensitive. Um, and photographing Orion is something that is best done <laughs> now and in the next couple months. So I decided to bump this one up a little bit um, in line and then have the other ones come in in the next couple weeks. So uh, thank you again to Robin. And if you are the type of person who wants to get in on this conversation, to be able to uh, vote, to give ideas for things that you would like to hear, and to just give feedback on the podcast. The Facebook group is a really great place to do that. I read every single thing that gets posted inside of that group. And it's just a lovely and supportive community. And if you've been in any of my my Facebook groups, my pop-up groups for my trainings, you'll know one of the things that I do pride myself on is having a safe and inclusive and supportive community. So uh, that follows inside of the um, inside of this group as well. Sue, so, you want to get out and take some pictures, hey? In the night sky. I will say the one thing about the winter night sky. So <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of it here in Nova Scotia. We've had a lot, a lot, a lot of cloud, which happens. But when we do get a clear night, oh, it's clear. It is so stunningly crisp and clear. In the summer, we'll get more clear nights, but there's a lot of haze. There's humidity. There's just like stuff in the sky. You know what I mean? Like there's just stuff around in the sky, getting in between me and the stars. In the winter, my skies, where I live here in Nova Scotia, when they are clear, they are stunning. They're absolutely beautiful. Now, it's also stunningly cold. If we get a clear night here, it's going to be really cold. Um, so you, if it's where you are, get some heated things. It was just at the rink. Uh, My son has some early morning rink days and uh, my in-laws came and I cited on my father-in-law immediately. I'm like, you've got your heated jacket on. He's like, yes, I do. I was like, that is a smart idea. Um, So if you have some heated things and it is cold where you are, It's just going to make your life that much more enjoyable while you're out all night. Uh, If you need any recommendations on anything like that, you can go to my website. You can go to christinerosephotography.com forward slash gear. And there's a section there for accessories. I do link up to the particular heated things that I have. So you can see Uh, mine have been working well for a couple years now um lots lots of different options though so it just all depends where you are and what you want um, to get but yeah just (laughs) a little side note before we get into the nitty-gritty of how to actually photograph orion where to find it all of that um be warm the warmer you are while you're out there the more enjoyable of an experience it will be now i would like to give a small disclosure as with Most of the things that I post, you'll see in the um, show notes to this particular episode, there's going to be some screenshots from Planet Pro. That's P-L-A-N-I-T Pro. And it's the the planning software that I like to use. It's an app that you can get on Apple or Android. Uh, I like to use it on my iPad. In fact, Planet Pro is the justification to buy an iPad because it's bigger and nicer to plan on than my phone. We used to have an iPad and then uh, my husband dropped it on our paved driveway and uh, that was the end of that. So. But with these screenshots that you see, they are from my location. So I am at approximately forty four point five degrees north latitude. All of the screenshots generally that I'm taking are from Peggy's Cove because it's a very recognizable place. It's just down the road from where I live. That is the times that I mentioned, the um, focal lengths that I mentioned, they're relative to my latitude. If you are at a more northern latitude than me, you're going to find your times are a little bit different and you're going to find that uh, Orion doesn't get up as high in the sky if you are at a more southern latitude than me, one where all this talk about getting heated gear is not relevant, then what you're going to find is um, Orion is going to get up much higher in the sky um, than what it does here at my latitude. And so you'll need a wider angle when Orion is up even higher in the sky. So remember, this is, I I feel like I'm kind of like a nice in-between You know, where I grew up, the claim to frame, um, because we were at 45 degrees north, was that we're halfway between the equator and the North Pole. Um, So I kind of feel like I'm I'm a nice in-between here, Uh, but always you wanna take what I'm saying and then do a little bit more in-depth planning for where you are specifically. And the other thing that I will mention on this is if you don't have Planet Pro, then you can also use Stellarium. There are lots of other programs out there that you can use as well, like Sky Safari is one that people really like. Um, my workflow is I use Planet Pro on my iPhone or my iPad, and then I use Stellarium on my desktop. If you haven't used Stellarium before, I do have a uh, newly releasing um tutorial on Stellarium that will be on my YouTube channel. And it's just YouTube. You look up Christine Rose Photography, Christine with a K, and you'll find me there. We'll link it up in the show notes too here. Um, So if you haven't ever used Stellarium and you're like, what is it? How do I use it? I don't know. Um, You can go ahead and use it there. You're not going to find... Orion in Photopills. I know a lot of people use Photopills. It's a great user experience. I do love Photopills for how user friendly it is right out of the get-go. But it's really meant for photographing the Milky Way or the doing like sunrises, moonrises, that type of thing. It doesn't get you into other types of um, things you can shoot at night, so other constellations or objects in the night sky. So You really want to look at, my recommendation is Planet Pro, if you want an app that you can have on the go on your phone, um, and does really cool stuff like virtual reality, so it can give you um, the actual object rising over where you are. So, you know, I'm at sea levels, so pretty darn easy here. It's like, okay, well, when it rises above 0 degrees elevation, I'm good versus people who live in the mountains. It's like, well, depends where you shoot at in the mountains. Where are you looking to? You know, there's a there's a lot more variables there. So, Planet Pro is quite nice for that. But if you want a free alternative or if you want something that you're working on your computer with, I'm going to recommend Stellarium. Um, and being able to wrap your head around that and use Stellarium is going to let you find anything you want in the night sky for where you are at any time. And it's very, very useful. Okay, so those are my little disclaimers and the technology that we would want to use to try and find this stuff on our own. So now let me give you an overview here of getting out and photographing Orion. Now, why am I specifically talking about Orion here when I talk about the winter night sky we could photograph lots of different things in the night sky but I'm focusing more so on things that we can take more as like a a wide field so things that are uh, more wide angle can be photographed without a tracker also can be photographed with a tracker though and are just a little bit easier to shoot and to take up a larger field of view so that it's more of the astral landscape, um, not getting into the whole world of doing deepscape work or anything in that kind of realm. So when we are looking at the night sky and we're looking at our sort of position within the Milky Way. In the summer months here in the northern hemisphere, winter in the southern hemisphere, um, you're going to see that we're pointed towards the core of our Milky Way, the galactic center, um, during the night. So that's what we get in our summer here in North America. But in the winter, we are pointed to the outer arms. And so we're actually pointed out towards Orion. There's not a ton of other stuff in the night sky in that direction that has a lot of visual interest close together that is easy to photograph. That's the reason why we generally talk about Orion because that particular region is very interesting. It has more going on. Now, not all of it is going to be able to be captured as easily as you would capture the Milky Way core. And that's something that we'll get into and talk about today as well. So I want to give you an overview of like when, are you going to see it? Where are you going to look? Um, what's your gear? What's your settings? What are the things to think about? Pros and cons of tracking versus not tracking, all of those kinds of things. So that's kind of the overview of what we're going to look at today. And we're just going to get into, you know, how can we spend a little bit of time under the night sky and create something that's a little bit different, a little bit I find personally uh, photos of Orion are a little bit quieter. It's just there's a little bit less going on, which is not a bad thing. They, especially, you know, if we're looking at thinking about um, taking these photographs under the winter sky and there is a blanket of snow across the landscape. Not that we've seen snow here in Nova Scotia. It's snowed once so far. I'm recording this on January 18th, and it has snowed once so far. That is insane. Anyways, um, we have, you know, this sky uh, that has a little bit less going on in it, but it's still twinkling. It still has this visual interest. And then we have this beautiful sort of silent landscape underneath. Not all images are going to look like that, of course, but I do find that there can be a lot of beauty in that. So let's start with where is it how are we going to actually find orion in the night sky well Orion rises in the east and sets in the west. Okay, we're done now. (laughs) Everything kind of rises in the east and sets in the west, but Orion is pretty close to being like east-east and setting over in the west. So here in Nova Scotia, um, when it rises, and I can see the entirety of the constellation up above um, the horizon, that doesn't take much, right? I'm at sea level here, pretty much at sea level for most places that I'm shooting. Um, It rises at an azimuth of 97 degrees. So if you center on 97 degrees, that's where you're going to see it. And Orion sets at an azimuth of 260 degrees. So it's not perfectly east-west, but it's very close to east versus west. Um, Now, in terms of it rising and setting, that's if you're photographing it right when it's coming up and you're photographing it right when it's setting. And can you do that? That depends on the time of year that you're photographing it. So on recording right now in January, when it's full dark, Orion's already up in the sky. So Orion has already risen. So for instance, here where I live in Nova Scotia, we can start to actually see Orion in late August. Like we think, I personally think of Orion as a winter constellation, but I can see it in the hottest month of the year that we have. I can see it in late August. So in late August, in basically very, very early morning, you can start to see Orion rising up in the sky. And then with anything, you're going to see it just rising up earlier and earlier until basically we get to December. In December, you have this depends on where you're at. But for here in Nova Scotia, you have Orion rising. Being pretty much just rising up or a little bit has risen as a few degrees above the horizon when it's full dark, and then you can get it setting in the morning. So if you wanted to, you could track Orion through the whole sky um, and do you know the, the whole night photographing Orion. From January on, what you're going to have is when it's full dark, Orion will be up there. So Orion will already have risen and be up in the sky. And my preference is to photograph Orion now when it's setting. We'll talk more about why with that when we talk about um, focal lengths and gear in just a moment. But from January on, then I look at Orion setting. Now it is setting still quite early in the morning and it will get earlier and earlier (laughs) as we go. When we're looking in like February, March, April, it's high in the sky. Orion is high up in the sky and then it is starting to set. In February, Orion is setting here in Nova Scotia around 1 a.m. In April, it's setting by 10 p.m. Uh, by May, it's no longer visible. So where I'm at, we have... Um, have visibility until April, but after April, so May, June, July, there's no visibility whatsoever of Orion. I would say even in April, depending on the moon cycle and how early or late um, you have the new moon in April, you can't always get good shots. Like it might be like, oh, Orion is literally on the horizon just as it gets full dark, so you can get like maybe one photo of it um, before it it sets. So it really depends on what what time of year it is and also where you live. Um, but the general rule of thumb is going to be that you've got it from late August, September to late March, April. And depending on where you're at, what time it is, you're going to find that Orion is just rising or it's already up in the sky when it's full dark or it's almost setting. And when we look at Orion rising versus setting, It becomes important to know the way that it looks, not only based on like, okay, well, it's rising, rises in the east, or it's setting, so I'm going to be showing towards the west, but also the orientation of Orion. Because when Orion is rising... Orion is actually more like kind of laying on its side almost. So when Orion is uh, rising up, it actually works really well for landscape orientations. You can get a really nice landscape orientation where you've got some of your foreground, um, whatever is going on in your landscape. And then you have Orion just kind of like hugging the horizon a little bit. But as Orion gets up in the sky, Orion starts to stand up. So it's like, it's like, you could think of this, let's, um, Give Orion some, some actual uh, human features here. Um, Orion is sleeping, and then he's waking up, and then Orion is up in the night sky when it's up at its highest point. Orion's standing up, and then Orion kind of starts to fall over. <laughs> By the time Orion is setting, Orion is still more upright when it's setting. Um, it's not perfectly laying over. It's not the same as when it's rising up, but it is starting to fall a little bit. It's kind of like Orion's diving back down into the sea. I photograph very often over the ocean, so that's what it feels like for me. Um, So, you know, by this point, Orion is starting to fall over. Maybe Orion has had a few too many drinks and is just ready to lay back down. I don't know. You know, it all depends on the night, doesn't it? So, that particular orientation becomes important because it will determine the focal length that you're using. It will determine the way that the constellation looks with your landscape. So when Orion is rising, like I said before, you've got the ability to have the constellation like hugging the horizon versus when Orion is setting, it doesn't feel as connected to the to the actual landscape because it's kind of coming up and out of it a little bit more. So photographing that in more of a portrait orientation using other elements that are vertical. So if you can photograph Orion's setting um, and have it nestled in with, let's say, some trees on the left-hand side, you could do the right-hand side, but if you actually, here in the Northern Hemisphere, if you look at the way Orion looks when it's setting, I feel like it would be offset better with trees on the left-hand side um, or other tall and vertical elements that you could have being a part of it. So it's important to start... Thinking about that as well when you're looking at your locations, because the way the constellation looks when it's rising or setting is different. It's not perfectly symmetrical. It is moving a little bit. So you have that movement in the sky. So how are you going to connect that to the landscape that you're shooting? I don't know, obviously, but it's something to think about, especially when you're you're getting out there and you're photographing it. So that leads me into focal length and gear, I think pretty nicely, because if we're starting to talk about orientations, so when Orion is rising, uh, landscape orientation works really well. When Orion is setting a portrait orientation, you can do a landscape orientation as well. I mean, heck, you can do whatever you want at any point, okay? So just remember, I'm, I'm giving you things based off my experience and off images that I've created, but you might have something completely different and a completely different thought behind it. And that could also work fantastically. Um, so take everything I say with a grain of salt, of course. But when we get into um, what kind of gear are we going to be using... I'm gonna be talking focal lengths based on full frame. So if you are using APS-C, divide everything I say by 1.5, if you're Canon, you can do 1.6. It doesn't really matter, though. Um, and if you are on a micro four thirds, divide every number I say in half. Um, so all of my numbers, just to be clear, my focal lengths are going to be specifically for full frame. So if you're photographing on APSC or micro four thirds, you just have to do do a little bit of that math. Get your phone out now, put the calculator on so you can just do it um, and, uh, and be able to know what it is. So... Orion itself will fill your frame comfortably if you're shooting up 50 millimeters. So 50 millimeters on a full frame, you're going to get Orion. You're going to get the main um, stars of Orion. So the belt of Orion and then the two stars at the top and the two stars at the bottom. If you're actually looking at like the... The um, bits of the constellation where, you know, it's the the bow coming out um, and that, you might not get that depending on the orientation that you're shooting in. But for me, those stars don't generally show up as well, so I don't worry too much about having them in. So 50 millimeters, you can get Orion and a little bit of foreground. Not a lot of foreground, but a bit. Like you're able to, to get a little bit in if you want literally just orion you can go to 70 millimeters but that is the longest than that that you can do if you go longer than 70 millimeters you're gonna start cutting off certain stars in orion and you don't want to do that so looking at around the 50 millimeter or wider wider than that is lovely as well wider gets you more landscape and gets you more of the surrounding night sky, the winter arm of the Milky Way, you're able to see all of that as well. Um, but I just want to kind of give you a cutoff for like, here's the the longest focal length that you can be using and still get everything in. So the other thing to take into consideration is... Orion rising or setting, or is it high up in the sky? So you're going to see, I have some screenshots on the podcast show notes. So if you go to afterdarkphotographypodcast.com, you'll be able to see all of those, um, all of the screenshots, and they're from Planet Pro, and I'm basically showing you when Orion is uh, rising versus when it's high up in the sky versus when it's setting. And if we look at the images, what you're gonna see is when Orion is rising, because it's that horizontal that we talked about, because it's really kind of hugging the horizon, you can do easily a 50 millimeter uh, focal length and get Orion and a nice amount of the foreground in it's really like it it would be a nice single shot you don't need to do a vertical panoramic anything like that it will look quite nice when orion gets up higher in the sky so for instance you know where we're coming here in january and february when it becomes full dark orion is a fair amount up higher in the sky, not going to be able to do a 50 millimeter and get foregrounded. You're going to be looking somewhere in the range of a 14 millimeter to a 28 millimeter. This all depends on how high is Orion up in the sky and uh, where are you located. So here in Nova Scotia, uh, with Orion in the sky at its highest, um, its highest up in the sky, When I'm looking at that, um, I can do about, what do I have here, 28 millimeter. And I can get Orion plus a little bit of foreground if I'm shooting in a portrait orientation. But then I went in and I just went down to Southern Florida and I looked at it and it needed to be a 20 millimeter because Orion is much higher in the sky when you get to a latitude that's closer to the equator. So it really does matter where you live, um, what focal length you're gonna be able to shoot with when Orion is up at its highest point in the sky. Um, Using Planet Pro, you will be able to find that and see that very, very quickly and easily. Now, when we get to Orion's setting, you might think, okay, Orion rising was 50 millimeters. So Orion setting is 50 millimeters. Well, if you remember when Orion sets, Orion is still kind of upright. It's like, you know, it's a couple drinks. I'm starting to fall over, but I'm still upright. Um, I don't know why Orion to me is is borderline alcoholic. I don't know because it's the winter and it's night. Um, no, I don't. I actually don't drink. But uh, uh, anyway, so Orion is coming down and setting still though slightly up in the sky because of that 50 millimeters you could get orion but you're not really going to get a foreground so if you wanted to get orion plus foreground when orion is setting you're looking at using a 35 millimeter lens instead and of course you can choose whatever focal length that you would want. Maybe you wanna cut off and only have a part of Orion. Um, Maybe you want to have a little bit of visual tension in your image. Cutting off part of Orion could do that for you. Maybe you have a beautiful landscape and you want to do like a wide sweeping panoramic of it. You can do that too. The possibilities are really as endless as the sky. Whatever you can come up with in your brain (laughs) is going to happen. And I would recommend starting with something that's a little bit safer, where it's like, okay, I'm going to plan for this photo, a rising or setting photo. Um, I'm going to get this shot and then just like see what else you have. See what else comes up when you're there. Give your brain, uh, this is what I personally like to do. I like to have a thing or two planned out. So I go to my place, look at my, okay, here's where it's going to be rising or setting. Do my virtual planning, then do my in-person scouting. Have like one or two solid photos in my head. Then once you're there, execute on those photos, however you're going to do it. And then be like, okay, well, what else? What else do I see right now? What else could I try? Maybe it won't work. (laughs) Maybe those images will be like, ah. Those aren't going to see the light of day anywhere else. Or maybe they turn out to be your favorite images of the night. So give yourself some room to play and come up with ideas within a constructed environment. If you just go out and be like, okay, well, Christine says it sets in the West. So I'm just going to go out at 2 a.m. and see if I can catch it setting. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe it's April and it's already set. You know, um, it really, you're going to set yourself up. For success, if you plan things out beforehand, but then also give, I call it the margin for magic. Like just give yourself a little bit of time as well to play and to see what you come up with and see what you're inspired by when you're there. See the things that you give your brain time to see because you've already done the planning work, because you already know where it's going to be, you've already spent a little bit of time in this landscape or you've looked around at it, you have that space then in your brain to not be quite so laser focused on like, oh, where is it? What, what are my settings? What do I do? Like all of that, you kind of already thought about that. Now you have just more room and space in your brain to come up with other things. So you might be like, but Christine, uh, we have not talked about gear yet, by the way. Um, not gear settings yet, by the way. Yeah, we're talk about that now. So your settings depend on, really, are you using a tracker? Number one, tracker or no tracker. And then what is your focal length? So if you are using a tracker doesn't matter what your focal length is. Uh, If you're using a tracker, you can use pretty much any shutter speed. You're going to be limited by how well you have polar aligned um, and environmental factors. So I normally shoot with my tracker at about two minutes. So a 120 second shutter speed. But if it's windy, I'll cut that down to between 30 seconds and 60 seconds, depending on how windy it is. Can I set up a blind like that type of stuff? Um, You know, if I'm photographing by the Atlantic and she's blowing a gale out there, that's going to be a shorter, um, a shorter shutter speed. Or I might just stay home because it's cold and windy and not fun to be taking pictures in. Just another thought as well. So for me, I try and be at about two minutes. If you are in dark skies, so we're talking like a portal class two to three, if you're in like, it's dark here, maybe there's a little bit of localized light pollution, but we're not in a portal four or five, we're not with a lot of light pollution competing in the sky, a good starting point is 60 seconds, so one minute at F2.8 and ISO 1600. Or if you can get to that 120 seconds, you'd still be at F2.8, then your ISO would be, can we do equivalent exposures in our head here? Uh, 60 seconds to 120 seconds is one stop more light, so we can go with our ISO one stop less light and go from ISO 1600 to ISO 800. So I'll repeat that, um, 60 seconds, F2.8, ISO 1600, or 120 seconds, F2.8, ISO 800, starting point. Okay, you're going to have to uh, change this based on environmental conditions, light pollution that you have. Maybe your lens doesn't go to 2.8 or maybe your lens goes to 1.4. You'll have to shift that based off of your specific gear and your specific situation. But it's nice to have a place to start, right? It's a nice thing. Now, if you are not using a tracker, all right. Well, we're a little bit more limited now because we are talking using longer focal lengths. You know, when we first start out shooting the Milky Way, most of us are shooting somewhere in the 14 millimeter to 20 millimeter range on a full frame camera. That lets us get longer shutter speeds because it's less magnification. Less magnification means that we're not seeing that trailing as quickly. But with Orion, you know, we're talking 35 millimeters or 50 millimeters. This, these are longer focal lengths. When we're shooting at these longer focal lengths, we're going to magnify that trailing and see it a heck of a lot more quickly. So you need to determine the longest shutter speed that you can get without having trailing. This is something that depends on a lot of factors. I'll give you an overview here, but don't take my word as law because it will depend on a lot of different factors. Um, and that's really going to be the lens specifically that you're using on the camera that you're using. Um, these cameras that have crazy high megapixels show trailing so much more quickly. I am shooting with uh, Nikon, I have a D780, uh, Z5 and a D750 a couple of D750s actually, (laughs) I might have a problem. Um, But I'm in solidly in that low 20 megapixel range, like they are about 24 megapixel cameras, not huge amount of pixels, which means I don't get trailing as quickly as someone who's shooting with like a 50 megapixel camera. So this is going to, the settings I'm going to give you for if you're not tracking will be base settings, but you're going to have to test this with your specific gear. And the other thing here, this is the bit that you don't really see come up that often in forums and places like that. Um, people will get really, they're like, no, you have to use the NPF rule. And I'm like, you could, but you're going to be missing out on a signal that you can get most often. The NPF rule gives you a very short shutter speed. And um, and you can find the MPF roll. You can Google it and see what it is. Um, it comes preloaded into Planet Pro and PhotoPills, so you can use it in there. But the the issue with that is, personally myself, if there's a little bit of trailing at the edges, I'm okay with that. If my stars are teensy tiny bit elongated, I'm okay with that. I it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, if I'm going to create an image and I'm going to print it absolutely huge, then that might be the time where I would want to try and reduce and not have any star trailing but I personally would rather have more signal coming in from a longer shutter speed than having perfectly pinpoint stars and not having any of that beautiful color that you can get in the night sky. So there is a balancing act here, and it is not as easy as saying, oh, it absolutely always has to be this for this specific gear. No, it depends on the person who's shooting them. It depends on the atmospheric conditions. Like let's say you're shooting, but it's a night where there's fog. Um, So one of my students, Posted up recently in our group and had um, in our uh, paid Milky Way photography masterclass group, and had a shot of Orion and was like, you know, I was had all these plans and then the fog rolled in. It's very beautiful, the fog in the image is really lovely, but it does obscure the stars a little bit. Well, that also means that there can be a slightly longer shutter speed. You're not really going to notice because there's already the fog obscuring some things, and you know, it looks a little bit different. So. My my caveat before giving you a starting point here is that there is no 100% answer. I can't tell you exactly what to do. And anyone who says this is always what you should do, don't listen to them. No offense, men, but there's always so many variables that come into play. Take these as a starting point and then shift them to work for your specific gear and your specific circumstances that you're photographing under. Okay, so my starting point that I like to use, it's a little bit controversial at this point. Like it used to be like that word was gospel, but now it's like, people are like, oh, don't do that anymore. That's old. I like to start with the 500 roll. Uh, This is something I go in depth into and teach um, inside my free training that I do, my free Your First Milky Way training. Um, That'll be coming up this year in April. It's going to be epic. I have some really big plans for it. So you will want to stick around and stay tuned for that. I don't know why I use that voice, Uh, but yeah, it's going to be super fun. But basically, you're looking at um, 500 divided by whatever your focal length is, and then that gives you your maximum shutter speed. Now, if you are using um, uh, APS-C or if you are using um, micro four thirds, you have to take your focal length and multiply that by your crop factor. So if you are shooting APS-C, it would be 500 divided by your focal length times 1.5. If you're shooting micro four thirds, it would be 500 divided by your focal length times two. Um, So if you look at it this way, you're shooting with a 50 millimeter on full frame, it's 500 divided by 50. Shooting a 50 millimeter on APS-C, it is 500 divided by 50 times 1.5. So what's 50? times 1.5, that's 75. So you're doing 500 divided by 75. If you're shooting a 50 millimeter on a micro four thirds, it would be 500 divided by 50 times two, or 500 divided by 100. Note, I don't recommend shooting a 50 millimeter on APS-C or on um, micro four thirds. Micro four thirds, you wanna be shooting at 25 millimeters. APS-C, you wanna be shooting probably at 35 millimeters in this case. But that's the way that you do it. You use this 500 rule to find out what is my longest shutter speed that I can get. Now that is your starting point for your longest shutter speed. So if we are shooting full frame with a 50 millimeter, your starting point for your shutter speed is 10 seconds. Start at 10 seconds, depending on your gear, you might get some trailing. See how much trailing there is. Go down to eight seconds. Go Keep going down from there. Depending on your gear, you're going to have a different number to start with. So um, a 50 millimeter on full frame is gonna be 10 seconds to start, but a 35 millimeter on full frame is going to be about 14 seconds. So maybe you start that at 15 seconds or you try at 13 seconds. Um, you're going to start with that shutter speed that you have and then test. Test that shutter speed, then test slightly shorter shutter speeds. If you do 10 seconds on 50 millimeter and you think it looks great, well, maybe go up and try 13 seconds. See what happens then. Do you start to get trailing? It's all going to depend on you. Now, what I will recommend, remember, our LCD screens lie. This is a line I have inside my masterclass that they always get a kick out of. I say, LCD screens lie like a kid with their hand in a candy jar, um, you know, or a cookie jar. They they will lie to us at night um, in two ways. They'll look really bright because it's a light source in the dark and they're very small. You need to zoom in on your playback image. So go to that playback image, use the magnifying glass and zoom in. That's the only way you're actually going to see what's happening. Okay, so um, what would our exposures be? So basically, I'm gonna do an equivalent exposure going back from 120 seconds at f2.8 at ISO 800. And so to do my equivalent exposure, um, let's say I'm gonna go to uh, shooting with a wide angle. So we'll start at the wide angle because that gives us the longest shutter speed. A 14 millimeter is gonna be about a 30 second um, shutter speed. So we're gonna do a little bit of mental math here. I know you didn't sign up for this today, did you? Sorry, you're here. You're already this far in, you can't stop listening now just because we're doing math. (laughs) Okay, so we're at 120 seconds, going down to 30. So with our stops and our equivalent exposures, when we talk about light, it is a halving and a doubling. So 120 seconds cut in half, is 60 seconds, so that's taking away one stop of light. Now we cut 60 seconds in half, that's taking away another stop of light, that takes us to 30 seconds. So 120 to 30 seconds is taking away two stops of light. So at this point we have 30 seconds at F2.8 at ISO 800, that is two stops darker, than what we need it to be. So we need to get two stops back. So this depends, do you have a 14 millimeter lens that's an F1.4? Maybe you do, we probably don't. There's, I think there's only like one maybe out there, um, that's 1.4. But if you do, you could get back that light by going from an aperture of 2.8 to two, that's one stop more light, to 1.4, that's one stop more light. So 30 seconds at F1.4, at ISO 800, is an equivalent exposure. But let's say you have a pretty standard 14 millimeter lens. It's a 14 millimeter f2.8. You can't go lower than 28 You can't get more light with your aperture. So we instead will then have to bump up our ISO. So it would be 30 seconds at f2.8. And then we need two stops more light from our ISO. We need our ISO to um, enhance our... Signal by two stops. So we go from ISO 800 to 1600, that's one stop, to 3200, that's two stops. So we have 120 seconds, F2.8, 800, if you're shooting on a tracker. Then if you're shooting wide angle, you're looking at 30 seconds, F2.8, 3200. You will notice, if you've been through any of my trainings, that's pretty similar to what we shoot the Milky Way at. We're using a similar exposure, But the issue now comes into play when we start to use a longer focal length. So as we get to a longer focal length, let's say we're doing a 35 millimeter focal length. So that 500 roll, 500 divided by 35 is giving us 14.2857143. I totally did that in my head. No I idea. My phone's right here. So I'm going to round that up to 15 seconds because that's just easier to do our equivalent exposure. So if we were starting at 30 seconds at F2.8 ISO 3200, now we're going down to 15 seconds. Well, that's half of 30. So we're taking away one stop of light. So that would be 15 seconds at F2.8 and we just have to bump our ISO up. So it goes to ISO 6400. Now... Maybe it doesn't though. Maybe you can do fifteen seconds, and you have a more wide-angle. Um, sorry, you have a uh, larger aperture lens. So you have a thirty-five millimeter that just so happens to be a prime lens. Like I use the Sigma thirty-five millimeter f one point four. If that's the case, all of a sudden now you can do fifteen seconds at f one point four. Well, we do our equivalent exposures here. We've lost one stop with our shutter speed, one stop of light has been taken away, but with our aperture now, F2.8 to F1.4, we've gained two stops of light. So we would actually be at 15 seconds at F1.4 at ISO 1600. So basically here, we just have to do our equivalent exposures. And if I'm running through these equivalent exposures and you're like, am lost. I thought this was just going to be a nice podcast to listen to. Christine did not start with a disclaimer that we had to do math in today's podcast. How dare I? Uh, If equivalent exposures are still something that's like, oh, I don't like doing these. I do have a resource for you. So I have my photography for beginners bootcamp. And it was a like hybrid in person online course that I would do And the very first module on that was all about your settings. I have that available as a free preview that you can go and you can um, get enrolled in. And basically, you'll go through the first three settings. So you'll go through everything about shutter speed, aperture, and ISO. And then there's a lesson all on your equivalent exposures. It goes in-depth into that. If what I've talked about in today's episode in terms of doing these equivalent exposures has been... It has been like, I don't get Christine. <laughs> you like listening here and you're like, this is not enjoyable. I don't know what you're talking about. I recommend going and doing that. All you have to do is put your email in. Um, you'll get put onto my newsletter list and you'll get access to it. You'll find that on um, afterdarkphotographypodcast.com in the show notes and on the main page there. You'll see that there's a sign up for it. I highly, highly recommend going and doing that because that's what you're. <laughs> It's what you're going to have to do. Um, you know, <laughs> photography has a lot of math in it. And especially when we're doing this, um, you know, if you are then shooting at 15 seconds at f1.4 um, at ISO 1600 and the 15 seconds is too long and you go down from 15 seconds to eight seconds, well, what do you do? What what can you do then? What do you have to do? Where do you go from there? Um, how do you balance an equivalent out so that you get the same amount of light. Um, that's what photography is all about. So if you need any help with that, I've got you. Um, I have a resource there for you that you can uh, hop on and get. You can do that uh, easily in a day and a weekend. You can go through that module. And I've had people say to me, I've, I've taken them through that particular course, and they've been like, you know, Christine, like one particular student, she's like, I went to university, I did a whole semester in photography. She's like, and I learned more in three hours with you than I learned in the entirety of that semester. Does that speak to me, to the student, to the university? I don't know. I'm not gonna put any particular judgment on any of that. But I will say that I have very good feedback coming out of it. So um, it's completely free. It's there as a resource for you. I just want more people to be using their cameras and to get out there, whether it's under the night sky or whether it's going outside and taking pictures of snow or deserts or whatever it is that you have. So um, that's available there for you. Now, if you go out and you take some pictures of Orion, you know, I'd like to see them. I haven't seen the actual sky uh, apart from clouds in quite a while. So, uh, please, you know, tag me, um, on the Instagrams, um, in Facebook, put them up in our groups, wherever it is, um, that you hang out. I would love, love to see your images. Um, love to hear about you getting out under the night sky, maybe get a little bit, a little bit of just like a time for yourself, you know, that's that's me, at least, Um, I'm out under the night sky, it's just like, right, just me, no one else, no one needs anything from me, except for the stars, and my camera, and my toes that are really cold, (laughs) this is the time of year, okay, that is what I have for you this week, thanks for coming on the podcast with me on another week, Um, absolutely love having you here, If you're interested in a specific topic, something you want to hear from me, please come in to our After Dark Photography Facebook group. Um, That's where I like to hang out and interact and talk about all things that go on in the podcast. And I would also ask if at this point you're still here with me, thank you, by the way, and you haven't left a review on the podcast, it's a really good way for other people to kind of know what the podcast is about. I know when I'm starting to go and listening to a podcast somewhere or I'm looking for something on a certain subject, I go and look at the reviews and I see what people have to say. So if you have a moment um, and you can hop on over um, to iTunes and leave a review, that would be absolutely wonderful as well. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you a million. I hope you get out there and you get some great shots. Um, And I will wish you clear nights and starry skies. Take care.